The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent to them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went out on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, morning again, y'all. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask you to speak as we uh, encounter the last uh, characters in the nativity. Lord, we pray that our hearts are open to what you're doing, Lord, that we're able to draw a little bit closer to you. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we've been going through a series called The Nativity. And honestly, and I've been quite uh, forthright in this, I thought I was giving myself a softball series for Christmas, like the nativity, it's easy, everyone knows all the characters. And then, aforementioned Jesse Gumto, new baby boy, uh, he's like, you know what, I was thinking, and nativity comes from the word native. What if we had like a Texas native Christmas? And I'm like, I'm not from Texas, so I'm not sure if I can pull this thing off, right? Uh, But it was a good uh, kind of reorientation for I think all of us at a church to realize that we have a God who went native, that's where nativity comes from, so he could have a relationship with us, so we could better understand who our God was, so he could speak into the lives of his people. And that's really the story of Jesus. And we've been talking about each of the characters in the nativity scene, right? So we've talked about the shepherds, and we've talked about the angels, and we've talked about Mary and Joseph. And we're at our final characters today, we're going to be talking about the Magi. But if I want to be completely honest with you, if you were an early reader of the New Testament, this would have been a very weird character to add, to invite to the birth of Jesus. Because Matthew specifically, that gospel was written to the Jewish people. It is by far the most specific demographic of all the gospels. And if you were Jewish, you knew who the Magi were only from one story in the Old Testament. The Magi were the people who opposed Moses when they went against Pharaoh. Moses had come and he had said, hey, you have enslaved God's people and God wants you to let them go. And Moses started doing these miracles. And in response, Pharaoh sent out the Magi. 
And the Magi did their quote-unquote miracles. And so they're literally battling Moses over whether or not the people will stay or the people will go in to the promised land. So that is the context of the Magi. And so the fact that the Magi, the bad guys of the Old Testament, are invited to Jesus' birth would have been one of those record scratch moments. It makes you think, why them? It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Why do they get an invitation to the birth of Christ? Well, the thing to realize about the Magi is that while the word magic comes from magi, it's the same root word, they weren't sorcerers. A historian quote is oftentimes magic is just science we don't understand yet. Magi were people who (laughs) studied creation. They were the people who wanted to know how the world worked. And so they were scholars and they were philosophers and they were readers of literature. And a unique thing had happened about 300 years before the birth of Jesus. You see, Alexander the Great had conquered much of the known world. And he was a scholar. He actually studied under Aristotle. And one of his prime goals was not simply to conquer nations and to impose his thinking on those nations, but he actually wanted nations to be able to share information. It's where the great Alexandria Library came from. In a real way, he was like the proto-internet, right? The internet is ways we can all share information from one site to another. Well, that's what he cared about. And so what he did was, when he would conquer a nation, he wouldn't burn their libraries. He would bring their libraries, make copies of them, and then he would bring them to a central location. And all of a sudden, knowledge was starting to be shared. And the people who studied that knowledge were magi. They were scholars. They were advisors. And kings wanted magi in their court because they understood things like farming. They understood things like medicine. They understood the different cultural aspects if they had to deal with another country. And these are the people who were studying and saw something happen. And we're going to read through the story of how these magi end up at the birth of Jesus and how there's two different responses when God shows up. So the story goes like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? See, we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Again, they studied creation. They studied the world. They studied the stars. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden something different had happened. Something so impactful, so monumental, so eventful that even the stars took notice. And so what do they do? They figure out where the star is, where the star is pointing to, and they do a little bit of research. Enough research that they realize, you know what? The Bible had talked about God sending a king, a Messiah, who will be born king of the Jews. And so their response is to investigate. Their response is to figure out what event has happened. What hero, what person is so big that even creation takes notice, and they go to investigate. They show up in Jerusalem, the capital of Judea, and they say this, when King Herod heard, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And in this, we start to realize that there are two very different responses to this new king. 
On one side, you have people who are there to investigate, who are there to, who are saying, you know what, if creation is taking notice of this event, maybe I should take notice of this event. But Herod, the current king, and all the people of Jerusalem, they have a very different reaction. They're not excited about this Messiah. They're worried he's going to challenge the status quo. At that point, the status quo was working pretty well for King Herod. He had all the power. He had all the strength. And he wasn't okay that something was going to come and upset the apple cart. Right? So when he... Herod had called all together, all the people's chief priests, all the pastors, all the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. God is making good on his promise to send a Messiah. In the Old Testament, he is very clear that a hero was going to come who was here to save the world. He was going to be Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Emmanuel, God with us. Last week we talked about the shepherds and how often in the Old Testament, shepherd was one of the definitions of the Messiah, that he would come to take care of God's hurting and lost flock. But in that same text, it says, but you see, there are some bad shepherds out there. There are shepherds who have misused, mistreated, attacked God's flock. See, Herod was one of those shepherds. He was not pointing people to God. He was setting himself in the place of God. He wanted his best thinking his decisions to be absolute. And that's why he freaks out so much when the Messiah is to be born. Because he feels like his power is going to be stripped away. Two very different responses to what God is doing. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Right? So what he says is, hey, let me know who this Messiah is so I can worship, so I can be like you guys, so I can investigate. But what we know in the story is that's not what he's trying to do, right? No, Herod is going into full-on damage control. He realized God's showed up. He realized God has a plan, and that plan is going to get in the way of his plans. And so he starts trying to box God out. He starts trying to do the damage control to fix the situation so he thinks it's going to be good for him. And I think we all do this, right? We do damage control when we say something we shouldn't to our spouse. We do damage control when we are (laughs) arguing about politics or arguing about culture or arguing about a hundred different things. We want our way or no way. That's what Herod's all about. But again, there are two very different responses in this story. After they, the Magi, had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
See, creation kept pointing to something miraculous that had happened. And they were willing to continue to go and investigate. See, at the end of the day, the Magi were truth seekers. And God invites truth seekers into relationship with him. He invites people to say, hey, if you want to know who the truth is, if you want to see truth embodied, you will find my son. At the end of that journey, you'll end up at Jesus. And that's where the Magi end up, right? The story goes on. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Jesus' arrival splits the sea. It splits the world. The birth of Jesus leaves only two options. Worship God and what he's doing or damage control. That's it. Those are the two options that we get. Those are the two options that scripture gives us. And it's hard, because there's all kinds of stuff that makes us question what's actually happening, right? I remember when I was in high school, uh, I had a lot of questions about God. I had a lot of questions about the Bible, and about creation, and about Jesus. And I was starting to get scared, because these questions would get in the way of me connecting to God, right? Did I even still believe in God? And I went to my youth pastor, and I was honest, and I was broken, and I said, I've just got so many doubts. And instead of chastising me, instead of trying to give me easy answers, he said, Josh, doubts are okay. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what you're supposed to tell me. You're supposed to comfort me in this moment and tell me everything is perfect. And I'm right. He goes, no, 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 Josh. He goes, doubts are okay because doubts, if you're honest with them, if you're willing to be a truth seeker, doubts will lead to questions. You know what questions lead to if you're a truth seeker? Answers. And you know what answers lead to if you're a truth seeker? Truth. And then he quoted me this verse. He said, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, Josh, if you are a truth seeker, if you're willing to follow God in this journey of asking questions, but really asking God, God, I want your truth, not my truth. He goes, you will end up at Jesus. Because he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And there is comfort in that verse, but again, even this verse kind of makes me uncomfortable, right? Hey, no one comes to the Father except through you. We call this in theological jargon the scandal of particularity. Really, just Jesus. That's almost scandalous, right? There's only one way. And oftentimes, Christians, we can use verses like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, like a club. And we are going to beat you over the head with this club until you repent. We are going to shame you into believing what we believe. Have you ever seen that work? Does anyone ever end up believing if you try to guilt them into believing? If you try to beat them into submission? No, that's not who it is. The real scandal here the true scandal is not that Jesus is the only way. The true scandal is who the Messiah is. 
and what length the Messiah will go to have a relationship with you. The scandal is God's plan to save the world was to become human, was to be born in a feeding trough. The real scandal is a God who fights his entire life to teach people the way and the truth and the life. The real scandal is a God who says, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to be humiliated and tortured to have a relationship with you. And so the I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's context to that. And the context is a loving God who fights for you, who fights for your family, who fights for the world. Jesus said, I have come not to condemn the world, but to save the world through me. And the context of I am the way, the truth, and the life comes when his disciples are troubled. Are you ever troubled? Do you ever look online or turn on the news or have a phone call with your family and feel troubled? Well, this is his response. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there? Why? To prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And at this point, one of the disciples raises their hands and says, Lord, we don't know how to get there. We don't know how to get into God's house. We don't know how to get to this place that you said you were preparing for us. And Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, he says, you'll know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. You see, the story of Christmas, the story of the Nativity, is God saying, I am here. And now you get to know who God is. You get to see his heart. You read through the Gospels and you see a God who fights for people, who fights for the broken, who finds ways to reconcile different cultures that didn't think they could be reconciled, who finds ways to heal people who didn't think they could be healed. A God who specializes in the island of misfit toys. That's me and you. And he says, and I'm preparing a place for you. God has a room for you in his house. And our God specializes in building things, right? He's the carpenter. He's the world builder. And he says, you know the way. What we celebrate in the nativity is the way becoming flesh and blood, is the end truth showing up and doing life and fighting for his people. That's the story of the nativity. Heavenly Father God, we come before you and... First and foremost, we're just humbled of how far you will go to have a relationship with us. The scandal of God becoming man just so you could connect with us. Father, Lord, we also come in confession that oftentimes, like Herod, we just go into damage control when we sin or when you want us to move or we try to box you out. We try to box our neighbor out. Lord, we come before you now in confession asking for a God who specializes in forgiving people and redeeming people and finding ways to connect with people. 
And yet, Father, Lord, we're also courageous because you said your sins are forgiven. I remember them no more. Lord, we come before you now in this time. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.